This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, November 20th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Kyle Vogt resigns as CEO of Cruise. Toyota's financial unit will pay $60 million for illegal lending and credit reporting misconduct. An EV charging company, ChargePoint, plunges. Plus, Ineos Automotive CEO, Lynn Calder, joins the show to talk about the company's Grenadier SUV, which is coming to the U.S. It's been such a wild and crazy ride of a petrochemicals company learning how to build a car. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Kyle Vogt has resigned from his position as CEO of Cruise. His departure is the latest fallout from a safety crisis at General Motors' beleaguered self-driving unit. Starting Sunday, Mo Elshinawi will take over duties as president and chief technology officer. He's currently the company's executive vice president of engineering. GM's executive vice president of legal and policy, Craig Glidden, who is also a Cruise board member, will also serve as a president and continue as chief administrative officer. John McNeil, who joined the cruise board last month, has been appointed vice chairman of the board, serving alongside chair Mary Barra. Vote's downfall marks an abrupt end to his tenure with a company that he co-founded in 2013. This was his second stint as CEO. He took over last December after Dan Ammon, GM's former CFO and president, had departed. ChargePoint holding shares have collapsed after the company announced the sudden replacement of its longtime chief executive officer and posted disappointing quarterly revenue. The stock, which had already lost more than two-thirds of its value this year, plunged as much as 38% on Friday, its biggest intraday decline ever. Shares closed at $2.02. The electric vehicle charging company's market capitalization fell to around $750 million from a peak of $11.2 billion in June 2021. The company said after the market closed on Thursday that CEO Pasquale Romano and Chief Financial Officer Rex Jackson were being replaced. ChargePoint also released preliminary results showing revenue slumped to between $108 million and $113 million for the quarter that ended last month down from a year ago and well short of its guidance for at least $150 million. Toyota's U.S.-based auto financing unit will pay $60 million in fines and restitution to settle charges of lending misconduct. U.S. regulators say Toyota Motor Credit illegally prevented borrowers from canceling product bundles that increased their monthly car loan payments. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau says the unit will pay a $12 million civil fine and $48 million to consumers that it harmed. 
Toyota Motor Credit provides financing for people who buy vehicles at Toyota dealerships. The company did not admit or deny liability in agreeing to settle. And U.S. auto safety regulators are investigating report discrepancies in 16 recalls issued by Hyundai and Kia that affect more than 6 million vehicles. They involve malfunctioning anti-lock brake systems linked to fire risk. NHTSA's Office of Defects Investigation said it was reviewing eight recalls from each of the two sibling automakers that involved anti-lock braking system modules or hydraulic electronic control units made by South Korean parts supplier Mando. The audit threatens to overshadow the automakers' years-long efforts to improve their quality reputations. Both Hyundai and Kia landed in the top 10 this year on the annual J.D. Power Vehicle Dependability Study. But just five years ago, the two automakers were navigating a messy crisis involving hundreds of reports of non-collision fires in their vehicles. The recalls were issued from 2016 to 2023 and involved more than 6.3 million vehicles in the U.S., in the recalls, the automakers advise vehicle owners to park the affected vehicles outside and away from structures. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, how do you make of this Hyundai-Kia recall issue? Do you think this will cost them more financially or more of a blow to their quality reputations? You know, it's hard to tell what the financial cost might be. I guess, you know, if they have to redo the recalls, uh, that could be very costly. But I think your question is right on, right? The bigger issue is what it does to them reputationally uh, with regulators and with consumers. You know, Hyundai and Kia came in, you know, at really the bottom end of the market, not great quality, very cheap cars, and they have worked diligently for decades to improve their quality. And these kinds of setbacks, you know, don't help. They give the impression the quality is still a problem and that the company isn't doing the things that it says it's supposed to do. Gotcha. Coming up, we'll hear from Enios Automotive CEO, Lynn Calder, as the company gets set to start deliveries of its Grenadier SUV here in the U.S. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative. Moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future and we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? 
When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lane, GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Ineos Automotive is preparing to begin deliveries of its Grenadier, a rugged, boxy, BMW-powered four-door off-road vehicle made in France. The first batch of Grenadiers has been shipped to U.S. ports and may reach the company's 19 U.S. dealers this week. Lynn Calder is the CEO of Ineos Automotive. I caught up with her over the weekend in Las Vegas at the Formula One Grand Prix. Lynn Calder, welcome to Daily Drive. Hi, Jamie. Great to be here. Thanks. Close readers of automotive news have been following the development of the Grenadier, sort of an homage to the Land Rover Defender, and now it's really coming to the U.S. How soon do you expect the first deliveries in the States? So we're within uh, days uh, now because actually our first customer vehicles have landed in the States, so they're in the ports. Uh, we just got to, you know, do a little bit of work and then get them out to customers. So pretty exciting time for Ineos Automotive mm -hmm. right now. Is it the, the port of Baltimore? What do you use to bring them in? Uh, we've actually got ports on the east and the west coast. And hmm. um, so we've got about, um, I think, 300 vehicles that have hit the east and 400 vehicles that hit the west. And we've got a whole load of other vehicles on the water. <laughs> so they're, they're on the way. Uh, will they be distributed evenly across the states or kind of hit the coast first and then work your way in? Yeah, to be honest, we haven't been particularly strategic about location. We've, we've gone with customer orders, right? Mm. So the, the order books opened in May and we've made the first 1,200 and they're shipped and we're just uh, starting on the next batch right now. So, yeah, I think uh, they're, you know, as, as ordered. Mm -hmm. For those who haven't devoured everything written by Richard Truitt or Jack Walsworth in Automotive News, uh, tell the audience, if you will, about the origin of the Grenadier and the Ineos automotive business. It's a pretty crazy story, if I'm honest, <laughs> uh, when you actually really sort of think back at the last six years, because six years ago, the principal owner of Ineos, uh, the group company, which is at its core, a petrochemicals company, mm -hmm. Sir Jim Ratcliffe, was kind of, you know, sat having a beer with his friends in a pub which is the Grenadier pub in Belgravia in London. Um, and he was having a bit of a kind of think about the fact that Land Rover had elected to, to stop making the old Defender. And, you know, he really felt that it was, it was, it was a great shame. Um, and, and principally because it was such a capable off-roader and that there was nothing really left like that on the market anymore. And that was a great shame. So his kind of, you know, musing, I suppose, was just kind of like, imagine if we were to kind of build a real kind of pure blood, four by four, capable, on purpose built to kind of really tackle everything you could throw at it off road. But actually with a bit of a modern twist, which, you know, with a bit of comfort, with a bit of refinement, quality, durability. And, you know, th this kind of ended up being written down on the back of a five pound note. It's become quite a fable <laughs> now. 
And um, because in the Grenadier pub, there's this concept of uh, there's lots of five pound notes on the on the roof. They're pinned to the ceiling, mm -hmm. have been for many many years. So they kind of uh, wrote a triangle on the back of this um, five pound note, which was had to be great design was one point on the triangle, had to be really off road capable was the second point, and then durable and reliable was the third point, and it got pinned to the ceiling. But it was still just a bit of a kind of pipe dream, I think. Right. Funnily enough, though, here we are six years later. <laughs> And, you know, it's been such a wild and crazy ride of a petrochemicals company learning how to build a car. Mm -hmm. um, and we've done that with partners. We haven't gone off and just done it on our own. We've done it with partners. We've partnered up with Magnus Steyr, who've really helped us design and engineer the, the vehicle. And we've partnered up with some of the, the best kind of um, suppliers in the business. So, you know, we've put a BMW six cylinder engine in the car. We've got, you know, our transmission is ZF. We've got mm -hmm. Recaro seats. So, you know, we kind of, we wanted to do it properly and, and work with the best of the best. We bought a factory. We actually even bought the pub last year. <laughs> so uh, it's been it's been a busy six years. Got that five pound note back. <laughs> well, you know, it's still up there. So. <laughs> uh, you use a direct sales model in other markets, but you're using franchisees in the U.S. starting with 19. Uh, why is that? Uh, I mean, I think when we were thinking about our sales model globally, we thought that, you know, the agency model, direct selling um, in most markets was kind of where we wanted to be. We wanted to have a really high degree of control mm -hmm. over our brand effectively because we're so new, we're so young, mm -hmm. we've got to work really hard to build that kind of buy-in and knowledge of who we are. Um, and so it felt like the right thing to do. Um, I think in the US, that's obviously a lot more difficult given dealer franchise law. But actually, I think it's turned out to be quite a good thing for us to have a bit of a mix. Mm. Um, what we'll end up with, I think, by volume is probably somewhere around 50-50 direct and indirect. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that gives us a really nice kind of mix of, of sales model. Um, and in the US in particular for us, given that we're so new, given that we don't, you know, we've got a lot to learn about mm. the US market. We know it's going to be a huge market for us and we're so it's so excited to finally <laughs> be here but we've got a lot to learn and i think it will be great to be partnered up with you know some of the best dealers across the whole country mm -hmm. um, to really help us build our business here it's still early days but what have you found different uh, better or worse between the two models I think what we've learned, I mean, we've already launched in probably, oh, I'm going to say about 15 countries. We've launched in 40 overall, but 15 countries direct, but high volume markets for us. Um, so we've learned a lot over the last year, effectively, in those countries with the, the direct model. And I think if I were to kind of say our learning, our principal learning over the last year has been that we probably underestimated just what it meant to have a direct model as a brand new OEM who mm. is really kind of trying to build its business to stand itself up as a business. So we've got brand new systems, we've got a lot of new people, we've got new processes. We're learning about the car business. Uh, we're at the same time building a car, we're at the same time <laughs> ramping up our production in, in France. Um, at the same time as planning the future, um, whether it be new markets for the Grenadier and the Quartermaster, by the way, which is our second model, which is the double cab pickup version of the Grenadier. But we're also currently engineering our third car, which is the battery electric. So a lot on our plate for such a young company. And I think that, 
you know, it's been tough actually to set up a direct selling model where you've got to do a lot of things that otherwise dealers would do. So just even really simple things like registering the vehicle or having, you know, a customer service call center or having roadside assistance or financing relationships. Mm-hmm. These are all things that, you know, dealers would, would undertake um, in, in an indirect model. And, um, you know, that's kind of a learning. Um, do I regret it? No, actually, I think, you know, it's been a tough year, but we're kind of really making it through the worst. And I think that that sets us up really well for the future. But it's been it's been a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the planned expansion to the lineup. This is not a one vehicle uh, brand. Uh, t- what's the timing look like for those other two models? Yeah, so the Quartermaster will actually go into production in our facility in France next week. Um, you know, our second model coming thick and fast. <laughs> but obviously, you know, that's a model that's largely based on the Grenadier, the whole kind of front end of the car. The double cab is is a Grenadier. Um, what we've got is a loading bay now on the back. Um, it's got um, about 12 inches, so a foot longer wheelbase. You know, that's um, going to hit the US we haven't actually announced the date yet, but I'm going to say probably Q1 next year. I think, you know, we've we've got um, a lot of station wagon Grenadier orders to get through for the US. Um, so we're kind of really working through that at the moment. And the station wagon and the quartermaster will be built on the same line. The battery electric, which we're really excited about, is going to come to the market in 2026. But we are really, really deep into the design and engineering of that now. So we're almost complete on the exterior design. We had a bit of a a kind of um, friends and family unveiling (laughs) a couple of weeks ago of our model and um, it went down really well. So we're we're super excited. But yeah, 2026. How big are the ambitions for Ineos Automotive? Are, Are you trying to become like the next Land Rover or the next Mercedes? How big, how big should this company be? I don't think we're ever going to, you know, we're, we're always going to plough our own furrow, I think, um, in terms of, you know, we're not going to be a me too. I think, you know, the, the, the kind of our origin kind of tells you that, you know, the whole kind of fable and, and, and legend that I've just talked about. It's kind of a, a very, very different way to, to begin a car company. But what I would say is what started as, oh, you know, a great shame, you know, that there's this gap for a, a pure blood four by four and a gap in the market that's also a, a business gap in the market, not just a bit of a passion project, can we build a car, but a business gap, you know, and that's a, a gap that we can come in and fill. What started as that has, you know, over the last six years morphed into, we want to be around for the long haul. We want to be, um, you know, a 100 year old company at one point. Um, and I think, you know, the vision of our owner, um, Jim, is that, automotive becomes a, a really, really significant part of the Ineos group, not, you know, just a, an idea in a pub. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say the ambition is is strong. And, you know, we've got, I'd say one, probably even two more ideas. We're already starting on, um, you know, um, ideas for the fourth vehicle in terms of it's quite solid or what the brief is. And we're starting on design for that. We'll stick to off-road. That will be our DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going to go left field into anything that we understand less. I think we've learned a lot about building an off-road vehicle, and that's where we'll stay. We're here in Las Vegas for the Formula One Grand Prix here. Ineos uh, Group is uh, one-third owner of Mercedes-AMG Petronas team. Is that Yeah, right? absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's one of the top teams, very well-known what does the F1 affiliation do for Ineos Group and what does it do for Ineos Automotive? 
it was designed um, as an INEOS group foray, not an INEOS automotive one, really. I think it's great to be here um, as we launch in the US as INEOS automotive, and it's a great event, to a real marquee event to be here um, doing that. But it's much more of an INEOS group play. And to be honest, I mean, I've mentioned that at its core, INEOS group is uh, a petrochemicals company. It actually turned 25 years old this year, so it's still a relatively new company, mm-hmm. but it's it's gone through really, really exponential growth over that last 25 years, predominantly built through acquisition. Mm. And for 20 of the 25 years, because INEOS was pure business to business, it really wasn't very well known at all. It wasn't a brand name. We don't sell brand name chemicals. A lot of our business is commodity. And, you know, it, it was just, we were kind of used to have a bit of a joke, which were, we were the largest company that people had never really heard of. Right. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's a 65 billion euro company. So, you know, and it's owned by three individuals, really predominantly <laughs> one. So, you know, five years ago, I think we started to get into sport as just a bit of an interest, actually. You know, our owner really enjoys sport. Um, we have kind of, we acquired the, um, the Team Sky cycling team, which is now Ineos Grenadiers. So a road cycling team that kind of competes in the, the grand tours around the world. We've acquired two football teams, one in Switzerland, one in France. Uh, OGC Nice is is playing in the top flight in, in France. We backed the British attempt to bring back the America's Cup, the, the yacht sailing competition. You know, it, we're sponsor of the All Blacks now. Um, you know, it, it is kind of the Formula One opportunity was kind of just part of a theme, I think, which was we like sport. It really runs through the core of our company. Um, we very much believe in, you know, working hard and looking after yourself from a health perspective. So, yeah, and as a result of that, I think what it has done for INEOS Group has actually started to get people recognising our name, um, which for INEOS Automotive, now that we're, you know, a, a really big consumer arm of INEOS Group, <laughs> the biggest consumer arm of INEOS Group, but not the only, we've actually got a fashion brand called Bellstaff and we have um, a, a brand called INEOS Hygienics which is a, a kind of, um, you know, started off as a hand sanitizer brand throughout COVID, but now is sort of really morphed into hand soaps and detergents. So, you know, we've got a couple of consumer businesses now for which the sport links are extremely helpful so that we can start to really get our name out there and people know who Ineos is. Lynn Calder, CEO of Ineos Automotive, which is beginning U.S. deliveries of the Grenadier SUV any day now. Thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Pete Bigelow, Audrey LaForest, and Richard Truitt for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest on new products, executive moves, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a deep dive into the newly ratified UAW and Unifor contracts with the Detroit Three and what comes next. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.